everyone out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show where we talk about the places, people, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Mac, and I'm also joined by my fellow collector, Russ. You know, Mac, it's not really fair, is it, that you have this nice predetermined thing you get to say to introduce yourself, and I just have to come up with it off the cuff. I just got to stand here and vamp and improv and, and just figure it out and just talk until I think about something else to say. But you're good at that. That's why I need scripts in front of me to do my job. <laughs> well, I think good might be using that word liberally. But uh, hey, I'm happy to try my best. Hey, so yeah. it's great to be back here, as I say every week, because I love Star Wars and I love talking about Star Wars. It's been a great week for me in Star Wars. I uh, just finished Rebel Rising, which is mm -hmm. a great canonical book about Jyn Erso and uh, Saw Gerrera. Uh, I just finished uh, or started reading a uh, Legends book called Dawn of the Jedi. I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit more on a later show. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been continuing my Clone Wars rewatch. So yeah, it's just been a, a, a week pack full of Star Wars. Been really having a great time. Yeah, no, uh, I, I haven't been doing as much of that with Star Wars. Uh, that's just not the so rise of uh, the Skywalker. And yeah. uh, I... It um it's funny it's because normally after a new Star Wars movie, so like January, February, March, I go on to a little bit of a Star Wars hiatus where I kind of revisit other things that I've been ignoring for like seven months leading up to a new Star Wars movie. <laughs> That's where I am. Yeah. So, uh, but I have one of the things I've promised myself this year. One of the things I do every year is I watch a lot of movies and I try and watch movies I haven't seen before because I'm the type of person who I can just sit and rewatch a Star Wars movie or Back to the Future or Terminator or Jaws or Airplane and just sit there and watch them over and over and over and over again. And last year, I had a goal of watching a new movie every single day. Now, I didn't hit that goal. I only hit about 150 movies. Only. Having said that, new movies, sorry, new movies. Watched only. over 300 movies probably, but new ones probably only about 155 or so. This year, I decided that I'm going to do, instead of watching movies, I'm going to try and read books that I haven't read before. And so uh, I finished Rebel Rising, which was the last canon book I had been holding out on it, just because I think you all know how uh, sometimes I feel about some of those Rogue One characters. Well, I can tell you, Rebel Rising is a fantastic book. And if just like 10% of it would have been in the movie, it would have made Jin so much more interesting. But that's not the point. The point is you should read it if you it's haven't just, read it. So you're telling me it's like Catalyst. It'll make me yes. more weirded out by Rogue One, despite it being a good movie in most mm -hmm. people's mind, could have been such an even better movie. <laughs> yes. Well, the character development I know you and I were looking for, Mac, at least for Jin and Saw, is very much in Rebel Rising, and it's a fantastic book. And it makes Jin so much more than a cardboard cutout in a movie. Uh, so I highly, highly recommend it. Right. And I will say the only thing real Star Wars -y I've done is I listened to uh, Dark Empire, the audiobooks that I have Ooh, of it. And uh, fun. I did a little compare and contrast with Ra the Rise of the Skywalker. And uh, yeah, yeah, they've they're, they're, they're got a similar energy. Um, it's yeah. neat. Yeah. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk no, about. No, no. Today we have three completely different topics. None of them related to Rebel Rising or anything else or Dark Empire or any of it. We'll uh, do those later. So tonight, Mac, let's start out by talking about Battlefront 2. Awesome. Battlefront 2, that classic war fighting video game that like is just a huge multiplayer experience. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about it. I'm sure we're it. both on the same page that so it'll be perfectly fine. No further clarification needed. Yeah. How long do you think we'll talk about that? Uh, we'll probably be discussing that for about eh, 40 minutes. Okay, cool. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the T-47 Airspeeder, better known as the Snowspeeder from Empire Strikes Back. And we're going to spend about 20 minutes chatting about that. 
Awesome. And finally, we've got another toy. You might remember a couple weeks back, we talked about Action Fleet. Well, this week, we're talking about the line called Star Wars Unleashed. These are seven-inch statues that started out in 2002 that are uh, quite unique and quite cool in the world of Star Wars collecting. Yeah, and we'll talk about that for about 15 minutes. And I think each one of our topics is going to be kind of fun. It's a little bit weird. We're opening up the door on Star Wars video games. We're going to be talking about a great ship that everybody knows and yeah. we're going to be talking about a series of figures that not many people know about so our first time doing a video game isn't it i think so is yeah it? i think it is wow we've mentioned them but i don't think we've done it as a Odd topic that this is the one we chose to start with yes <laughs> yep no no other follow-up just Odd, we chose this one, huh? And I'll tell you what, you know what? Let's Instead just of a game like we chase. both know really well. <laughs> let's just go to the chase and let's just dive in. You're going to hear about us, and we're going to be talking about Battlefront 2 right after this. Admiral Vasio. Allowed to persist. Ignite the inferno. You wish to see me, sir? The Emperor is dead. So what happens now? We retaliate, Commander. We've been fighting our whole lives. Today, the rebellion dies. The Empire's time has come. This is not our mission. I am your commander, stand down! You take orders from me! So we're on the eve of Revenge of the Sith coming out, and there's a new game coming out to celebrate that. We're, of course, talking about Battlefront 2. Ross. Yes. Right? Yes. You ready? To- <laughs> Wait, Wait, what? Hello? What, what are you? What are you what Hello? Are you? We're, we're talking about Battlefront 2. Yeah, Battlefront 2 yeah. from 2017, right? So- oh, from 2000. Oh, that's right. There's two Battlefront 2s. Um... Well, why don't you start? Because I I looked at the wrong one. So we're going to talk today about Battlefront 2, the uh, 2017 EA Dice game that uh, introduces a lot of new stuff to Star Wars canon and the new building uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe that we have here uh, coming up into the world to celebrate all of these new things we've gotten in Star Wars over the last five years. Now, Mac, mm-hmm. Battlefront 2 is a game. It is. Well, at least the one we're talking about tonight. Well, no, no. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it is a game. It, it is a game. It does not involve the fighting 501st in a campaign that stretches from the Clone Wars to the the Empire. That's true. It has a very different, different campaign involving uh, Iden Versio. But, it, but much like its predecessor... 
this one has a campaign when the first one didn't really have one. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because in this new game, we have uh, basically two main story parts. And I think that's yeah. where we should start. Let's start with sure. the story of this game from uh, 2017. Sure. So... If you're not aware, if you've never played any of the battle, any of the four Battlefront games, there are uh, four of them. There's Battlefront, Battlefront 2, and then Battlefront again, and then Battlefront 2 again. Uh, I'm going to be just the teeniest tiny bit of snob because mm -hmm. there are um, three other ones. Uh, because there were ones on the portable systems that actually oh, were fairly divergent. Yes, yes. I, 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 I'm just going to really briefly mention. right? PSP had Reven or, uh, Renegade Squad yeah. as well as, yeah. um, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it. No, there was the, I shouldn't, I should remember the, the second one because the second one for PSP is amazing because if you want to know what like the original team's Battlefront 3 was going to be, this was the mobile version that was actually able to be finished when um, the studios working on it uh, could not. They lost. They. I don't think they lost the license. I just don't think it gelled up enough for them to make it financially viable. But the whole thing was, it was supposed to be that you could go from land to space all in one continuous no loading environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so it's really cool. And there was also a special one for the uh, DS. But. The well, point of the matter is, yes, we're going to talk about all of those eventually on Star Wars All In, but not so, today. We're not going to talk about the other ones because I already, yeah. So, Aiden so, Verso. <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about Battlefront Two from 2017. Now, yeah. this game was uh, originally released November 17, 2017, on the PlayStation Four, Xbox One. And on Windows, mm -hmm. it has both a single-player campaign as well as online multiplayer. Right. So it is a uh, quite a large game, all things considered. And it still has a pretty uh, fervent following, you know, two and a half, uh, two years later, a little over two years later. Well, especially in they keep dropping content. They get yeah. new content every couple of There was new content months. like... A month ago. Yeah. Like brand new content a month which is, ago. Which is really cool. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for me, uh, remember all personal Ross opinions, all that new content is on multiplayer and not the story side. So let's start by talking about the story side itself. Sure. And then we'll talk about some multiplayer. Yeah. And I'll tell you about my experiences there as well. So we uh, open up and we're not going to go through every single detail of this story because if you haven't had a chance to play it, you absolutely should. It's a great story. Yeah, it but is. There is some really cool stuff and some really cool characters introduced. So we have uh, Aiden Versio, mm -hmm. who is a member of Inferno Squad, a uh, very high elite, uh, shall we say, capable squadron of fighters for the Empire. Yeah, they feel like like a Delta Force. They feel well. They well actually, the big thing is they're like counterterrorism. Like their whole goal is they're specifically set up to break insurgency and rebellious cells yes they're actually formed there's a great novel called a uh, battlefront 2 inferno the squadron squad. <laughs> uh that takes place um basically immediately after the death star the original death star is blown up mm -hmm. and it is a uh, canonical that Aiden was there she is uh the daughter of uh admiral versio mm -hmm. who is uh basically a high-ranking military official with the empire and after she was blown up, uh, after the Death Star was blown up, she was one of the only survivors. She escaped mm. down to Yavin. She stole a shuttle. 
and she got back to Coruscant, you know, where she basically meets with her father and they go through this whole process of setting up Inferno Squad, a squadron basically to get revenge for the, you know, for the 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 herocious, the the horrific uh terrible act that was the first Death Star being blown up, you know, this awful terrorist plot that killed millions and millions of people. And probably called that that completely unrelated cascade that destroyed Alderaan. <laughs> Totally unrelated. Uh, mining accident, right? Yeah. That's the that's the talking line? Yeah, they were basically fracking, and it broke the planet. That must have been it. Those darn people. Okay. Uh, so, we have uh, Aiden, and we also have Gideon Hask, and mm-hmm. Del Mico, and uh, basically, these are the characters we see in the game. Yeah. Now, it starts off with Aiden being captured by the uh let's see i guess it would still be the rebellion at that point oh, yeah, technically yeah. okay so Aiden being captured by the rebellion because the, this all starts off right before endor right before the second death star right is where this story takes place and uh there's a really great opening here of you trying to essentially break out of this cell because you are, have been tasked with deleting information that the rebels have gotten saying that the Emperor's plan to lure them to the second Death Star is a trap. Well, that's, I mean, that's such a cool way of beginning it, is the fact that, yeah, yeah, you are being arrested. And then you find out that you made yourself become arrested. Like, that was all part of the plan. Yeah, that's the kind of missions Inferno Squad is taking up. These very niche, specific intense missions mm-hmm. now what's really cool about this is you also get to play uh as a little probe droid flying around i don't know what the exact model number or make of that droid is i was gonna go look that up uh okay well let me know so uh throughout the game Aiden has a droid companion that can help you with different things like seeking out enemies you know seeing them behind cover and unlocking doors and all kinds of stuff you know very much a predecessor to bd1 and fallen order who we've all kind of i think oh, wow. fallen I, in love with right he really is this little evil bbd bb1 because he's like yeah because he's like a little tiny yeah. imperial probe yeah, droid. he's a little probe droid that attaches to your back it's pretty rad he's an id10 an secret ID droid 10 secret droid okay what's his does he have a name does does Iden's, i think it id9 id9 that's right uh okay so we have this mission, and then the next mission finds you on Endor, and you have Inferno Squad on the forest moon of Endor, and they look up, and they see the Death Star blown up, and they have this great reactionary moment of like, this can't be happening. This can't be real. That is one of my favorite moments from the game was um, having um, essentially Imperial go through September 11th, like just the utter complete disbelief of... I just saw that, but I still don't believe that. Yeah. Is the emperor dead? What's happening? What's going on with our forces? And then there's the moment of, wait, we can't think about this right now. We have to keep moving. And throughout the next couple missions, Aiden and Inferno Squad find themselves essentially regrouping with the Empire and trying to find out what the next step is. Well, it turns out the next step is a plan called Project Cinder. Yeah. Uh, a message delivered from beyond the grave uh, from a messenger from the Empire. And basically, the uh, there are these satellites that can cause ferocious weather storms that can essentially w- wipe out the topical areas of a planet. Is that how you would describe them? Yeah, it's, it's a planet killer, except for the fact that it's more about wrecking a planet than it is truly destroying it. Yeah, it's about annihilating civilization 
Yeah, it's just using tsunamis and hurricanes and superstorms to just wreck all the infrastructure mm-hmm. on a planet. Yeah, the idea is to take the weak, burn it down, and something stronger will grow out of it, right? That's yeah. kind of Palpatine's idea here, right? Uh, and essentially also, to a certain extent, I think, take revenge on you know, the planets and organizations that failed him. We'll see later. It's not just necessarily rebel sympathizing planets that are being attacked. It's also Imperial planets, including one of the worlds Aiden is most familiar with. Yeah. Her home world. Yeah. So basically Aiden realizes how terrible all this is, that the emperor has been wrong. The empire has been, you know, bad. And And admittedly, after watching two Death Stars blow up before your eyes, I can understand (laughs) you're just like, maybe we're wrong. (laughs) Um, It's kind of funny. In 2017, I was a little bit more shaky on this Mm because, like, you have these, I think, really cool. Are they? Are they robots? I think they're robots. The the vo- the emperor's voice. Yeah, the messengers, they're kind of like so they're cloaked in red and they almost have a video screen for a face. They and got the one Daft Punk guy's mask and there's a hologram of the emperor inside. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really cool. Um but it was one of those things of like versus set up to be like really hardened. She's a true believer. She's yes. been raised her entire life to be a zealot for the empire. Mm -hmm. And the event that causes her to switch isn't necessarily convenient, but it feels like, well, let's put it this way. She, she blood traders and one of her squad mates follows her and the other one does not. And it feels like that guy feels more in line with how Inferno Squad's character has been built so far mm-hmm. that they would would blindly just yeah. follow orders kind of thing. Well, it, it basically comes down to Aiden and Dell, the, yeah. the two people who leave Inferno Squad, um, believe that the Emperor, through rule of law, is doing what's right and doing what's good. And as soon as they realize that now essentially the remnants of the Empire, you know, after the Emperor is dead, supposedly... Uh, basically are killing innocent people, destroying cities, laying these civilizations to waste, doing things that the emperor was always justifying before. You know, these are rebel insurgents. We have to teach them a lesson or we need this material, you know, to build our fleet. So it's all justifiable. You know, it's manifest destiny. Right. Because while they are, well, actually, here's one question. You read Inferno Squad, right? I did. Yes. Does she know about Alderaan? I, they do talk about it a little bit, but it's essentially like, you know, crushing the rebels. It's I suppose. I'm just like, yeah. Alderaan's really hard to swallow if you were there, because you're yeah. kind of like, they have no weapons and stuff, but apparently they have secret cash. Because I was going to say, is that whole plot line in 2020 is so much better to me. Mm, okay. Because we have the Emperor now, you know, in top level Star Wars speaking from beyond the grave and having a way more sadistic way. I'm just a Sith Lord kind of plot. Yeah. Which makes this feel looking backwards more authentic. Cause it seemed like it was a terrible waste of resources to like destroy a Imperial stronghold world. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we doing this to prove a lesson? That's really stupid. You're, you're literally destroying military infrastructure personnel to prove a point that you don't need to especially to the people you're proving it to well in a sense right he's punishing the 
empire. He's punishing the yeah. empire for letting him be killed. Or and now that I imagine that back yeah. on Exegol, there's <clears throat> some some you know prototypical version of the emperor coming back from the dead or being zombified or whatever. Now I see him sending those messengers out, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he literally is punishing them because he already has Plan B. Yeah. So you know, like. I, I think that makes that story a hundred times more interesting when you take it as, no, the emperor is not dead. This isn't a contingency plan of his. This is a plan he launched when he's, you know, half dead on some Sith world being mad about the situation. <laughs> like it makes a lot more sense that yeah, way. It's literally revenge. It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting for sure. It's way more Sith. Yes, it is. It is, isn't it? So we have our characters now, Aiden and Dell, who uh, essentially leave and fight their way off of the planet and join the rebel cause. And we get some great fights. We get an awesome battle on Naboo. Um, we get to see Leia on Naboo, which is really cool. Uh, and then the whole thing ends in this whole culmination of the Battle of Jakku, yep. which is awesome. Not only do we get on the ground and we get to fight inside of some Star Destroyers, we get to fly around the battle and take out some ships and eventually uh, land on the outside of an Imperial Star Destroyer. Yep. So, you know, uh, I guess really when we look at the Rise of Skywalker, we just have to take up that mode of like, well, Battlefront 2 did it first. Uh, there's you a know, lot of bringing that. the emperor back, landing on the outside of a star Having destroyer, a land battle on a capital ship. Yeah, yeah, lots of uh, you know, lots of those moments. But did Battlefront Two have horses? No, it didn't. Didn't it? No, no horses in Battlefront Two. I wonder if that's in the update. I, I well, we'll talk about the multiplayer in more in a minute. That would be great if they just added that in. <laughs> like, no, we have uh, we have mounts now. <laughs> So, uh, basically, the uh, the main campaign ends with uh, Aiden's father dying, you know, going down with his ship. Yeah. Uh, Aiden making it off, surviving, and essentially being rescued by Dell and uh, Shriv, another character yeah. who we meet throughout the game. And that's where the main campaign ends. And I think one thing I want to say about that that's really cool is by the time you get to Jakku, they have really authentically built... Dell and Aiden up as um well one as a couple which is great but yep. also um as rebels like, very much like so. they've they've as they became rebels they their kind of insider knowledge makes them way more for the cause like they're dismantling something they built and you kind of yeah. get that feeling because yeah. it's especially great when she faces her father at the end and you have this sort of like Something I think uh, maybe is something a lot of people are going through is your your parents are stuck in an old way of thinking. And while they are maybe sympathetic or sad or or apologizing for it, they can't break what they are. Mm-hmm. And you as the child are the way that their legacy is redeemed. Right. Which is a great bigger Star Wars thing. I mean, that's whole the whole thing with Vader is Vader's redeemed through Luke. Right. But it also feels kind of this this thing of like. They kind of forgive each other, even though they can't change who they are. Her father is going to die in Imperial, and she's going going to survive as a rebel. And while none of them would have predicted that, that's just how they ended up in life. And I thought it was a fairly well-earned moment. Absolutely. I mean, they're characters who, while you don't spend a lot of time with them chronologically, you, right. you get to see them in different environments. You get to see them interacting in different ways. 
And there are also some really fun missions in the story mode yeah. where you're playing other characters besides them. Yes. So there's a point you get to play as Lando, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and then there is some DLC that came out later that added a couple of levels yeah. where you get to play uh, as an older Aiden and you mm-hmm. also get to meet her daughter. Yep. Zay, right? Zay. Zay? Yep. Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, now, it's interesting because this stuff takes place right before The Force Awakens. Yes. This DLC, it came out as a tie-in with, uh, r- r- was it right before The Last Jedi? It would have been, yeah. It yeah, it was when Jedi. that extra stuff came out. And basically, it's uh, it's more story. And not only do we get to see Kylo Ren uh, going after Dell, we also get to... Uh, see Aiden, you know, taking on some missions for the Resistance. She is yep. still working with the Resistance. And uh, unfortunately, she meets uh, an untimely end, but she is successful in basically getting news of the First Order and what they're doing back to the Resistance. Yeah, much in the way that it it, it it's a great bookend because it, it basically mirrors the very first mission where mm-hmm. she's trying to stop a bunch of whistleblowers about the battle of Endor. And she basically her, her life sort of ends with her blowing the whistle on the first order yeah. and star killer base. Like, yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, so what other parts from the campaign should we talk about? Well, there's a lot of great moments. Um, so this is a dice made game. So it's absolutely utterly beautiful. Um, absolutely gorgeous that- from beginning to end. I mean, the original um, 2015 Battlefront, what it was, that was kind of its claim to fame, was it sounded and it looked and it was so authentically Star Wars. You were just in that world. You were dropped right in and believed it. Right. And, and they've had the advantage of like they went in and scan, digitally scanned props. Mm-hmm. So like that E-11 Stormtrooper rifle is not a version of, no, it's the, it's one of the props made into a digital object. Yeah. and. And that care and stuff is really, really, really shown. Even even when, um, like, for example, uh, this game put an emphasis on trying to rehabilitate the criticisms of the first game's um, space combat. Uh, mostly because space combat in the first one was very not three-dimensional. You sort of were dog doing aerial dogfights, even if they were X-Wings and stuff like this. And this they went in and they tried to make the uh, dogfighting a lot better, which they did. Um, but the, as a person who always, if given the choice, flies vehicles or drives vehicles in first person mode, it was awesome how detailed all the cockpits were and how the shadows moved around Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. And that level of detail that they did is just, um, it's one of the real treats of of these games. You cannot enjoy playing it. Mm-hmm. But just hop into the world and explore and look around. Um, I'll talk about that more with the multiplayer. But before we get there, yeah. one of my absolute favorite parts of the campaign is there's a mission very early on when your characters are still uh, fighting for the side of the Empire. Yeah. And Dell goes off on a mission and meets Luke Skywalker. Uh, and not only do you get to play as post-Return of the Jedi Luke Skywalker, one of very few canonical bits of info we have about luke in that 30 year period yeah Yeah. and it's great because he's still wearing his you know black fatigues he's got that he's that same luke we just met you know in return of the jedi and he's 
acting slightly more Jedi-ish, you know? But essentially, the whole the whole point of the little mission they go on together is basically, Dell is like, why aren't you going to kill me? Why are yeah, you helping me? Why? And, and Luke's like, because it's the right thing to do. And he actually says the word, Dell's, why did you help me? And Luke goes, because you asked. Yeah, well, it, it's just yeah, this, there's that great moment. He's just yeah. like, like you're fighting. Basically, Luke, you know, as Luke, you're fighting stormtroopers, and then you stop with this Imperial officer and actually talk to him, right? Yeah. And it, it, I think they, I think I remember, like, it sums it up. Uh, up is like, well, why didn't you ki- kill me? You gave me a choice. Why'd you kill them? They didn't. Yeah. Like, and it's it. That's such a Jedi way of looking of like, yeah. I only do defense. Like. Yeah. They, I had to defend myself. They were shooting me. You didn't. You gave me a chance to talk to you. Yeah. Um, which, like you said, it feels like growth. And again, tying to Rise of, Sky- Rise of the Skywalker, like I like that the Luke we see training Leia, like this is not, this is that Luke, maybe only a few months on either side of that. Yeah, hypothetically, right? Because yeah. it's before she's showing her pregnancy, right? I mean, it right. could hypothetically. Basically, it's very early on. We know that. I think the Visual Dictionary has a date, but I got to look at that. But like I said, again, uh, yeah. it feels like something that, again, everything from Battlefront 2 feels like they obviously didn't know, but it feels more connected to Star Wars because of how things echo in I, the new movie. I, yes. I think what you're saying and what I'm definitely feeling, especially because I've played the campaign a handful of times now, and I played it right before Fallen Order came out. So maybe the beginning of November, so maybe about three months ago. So I'm okay. relatively fresh off the campaign. Uh, it's one of the best bits of canonical game content we have it's just it feels like everything in there is part of this larger story that we know and love and it's really great to have this battlefront game that gives us more detail that gives us more story because as we'll talk about in a second i'm not really here for the multiplayer i'm not buying this game for the multiplayer i think the multiplayer is really cool it's just not my cup of tea sure so before we move on to the multiplayer, <laughs> any other stuff from the story you want to mention, Mac? Other than no, I think nothing... it's a great piece of canon content, uh, okay. and the book is great too. Yeah, and and um, and uh, I will say that uh, one of my favorite things about the campaign was much like Fallen Order, I kept stopping and translating all the Arabish that was in there, and ninety nine percent of it is legit. Especially, I love the fact that like every time you pause the game, it's basically giving you the game synopsis. Because when you pause the game, it's made to have like a stylized look mm-hmm. and down in the one corner is a whole paragraph of Arabish, which if you read it is basically like, Aiden Verso is the leader of the ferocious Inferno squad, crushing rebels all all across the galaxy. See her further adventures in Battlefront 2. Which I think probably came from an E3 demo or yeah. something where that's a good in-joke for the guy making the demo. Yeah. And it just stuck there because no one went and translated it back to realize that it's basically a little in-game advertisement for the game you're already playing i love that i didn't know that That's oh yeah great. it's great see kids if you become fluent in arabish you too can pick up on these little <laughs> easter eggs like mac does dude especially in the 21st century there are, there's a bunch of nerds who have the arabish font and just take a paragraph and say change font there's oh, that's awesome. tons of it <laughs> all right so let's talk about multiplayer now let's do it all right so here's the thing about battlefront multiplayer yeah if you like first or third person shooter multiplayers it's awesome i I mean i don't think there's any other way to describe it well very specifically if you like battlefield style 
because this is the people that make Battlefield. Yeah. Um, and so if you like that campaign where it's mostly about controlling territory, you know, you're controlling the control points and draining the reinforcements of so- someone and modes that come out of that original Battlefield style yeah. of game. Um, it's really great, which admittedly, I like that. My experience with this game's multiplayer was I didn't want to play it. Like well, I did. Don't worry. I'm so glad. last night, as we were talking about doing this episode, right. um, I got to a point where I said, okay, well, here's what I need to do. I need to go play some of the multiplayer because I haven't played the multiplayer since the last Jedi expansion came out. I played a couple missions on crate and that was about the end of it for me. Okay. So I desperately needed to catch up and see what's been going on because there's always new updates. They've they've mm-hmm. been doing it in seasons and new updates have come out. They've added playable characters like Anakin and Obi-Wan from the prequels. They've added General Grievous and Dooku. They've added Rey and Kylo and all sorts of characters uh, and tons of new skins for them as well, which if you don't play video games, that just means outfits for them. Uh, as far yeah, as I can tell, I don't think it changes anything else about them. It's all cosmetics. So... Uh, I went and I played, and there are basically two kind of primary modes you can play. There is uh, modes where you're infantry, where you're troopers, and there are modes where you're heroes and villains. So you're, you know, you're Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. Right. And I was kind of shocked because based on everything I had seen, it seemed like all the patches were... Uh, you know, new new maps, new game modes, you know, so they added Geonosis and they added clone troopers and then, you know, they added General Grievous to go there so you can fight with him and Dooku and yeah. all this stuff. But then as I started to look deeper into the community a little bit, doing some digging on, you know, the Battlefront subreddit and just looking around Twitter, it really seems like heroes versus villains is where a lot of people tend to gravitate towards now mm. just because it's such a, I think, quicker type of thing. And it also is, um, well, I guess maybe easier to just pick up and play. So I downloaded the new content. And to be able to do this, I went through a little bit of a saga. So I, (laughs) a couple years ago, uh, at Black Friday, like three or four years ago, bought a year of PlayStation Plus card at a pretty good discount. And I've never redeemed it. And I've had (laughs) PlayStation Plus the whole time. Like, I've been paying for it. But last year, when I barely turned my PlayStation on, I decided to cancel my PlayStation Plus and said, well, I'll renew it next time I go to play an online game because that happens so rarely for me. And it has come. And it came. So I uh, went and I updated my PlayStation. So that took some time. Yeah. Then I went and I downloaded the Battlefront update and that took some time. Yeah. And then it takes (laughs) an insane amount of time for it to copy the update to the console. Well, you you also have a base PS4. I right? have the whatever the original. Yeah, I got yeah, like yeah. a launch day. Yeah, so, um, so did all that, and then I went to play, and I realized, oh, to do this, I need PlayStation Plus. So it was around midnight last night. I said, okay, time to go to bed. I'll get up early <laughs> and I'll play a couple of rounds, and you know, at least get my feet wet. Uh, and I spent about forty minutes this morning trying to find that code for that year of PlayStation <laughs> Plus. I thought I knew exactly where it was. I'm sure at some point I moved it or. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I know that feeling of like uh-huh. looking in a drawer and going, it was right here. And then you just like look as if your house has betrayed you. Of yeah. Like, oh, no. Well, Where es- is it? Especially once you're married. Oh. Because you're not the only one who could have moved it. I'm the type of person who, when I lived on my own, right? Yeah. 
I knew where everything, like I always knew where everything even was. If the, even if the place was a mess, you had an organized yep. list of where all the things in that and mess were. I, I really doubt my wife moved this because she wouldn't have. I'm sure I did it. But as I've gotten older, my brain has become so much mushier and I couldn't remember where <laughs> I put it. So after a bunch of looking and going through all my like gaming cabinets, you know, underneath my entertainment center and all that, all the places I should have, it should be, I should have put it. <laughs> I decided to just buy a month of PlayStation Plus. <laughs> Okay, and and try it. So I got I then I had to go in. I had to update my default payment, which means I had to reset my password, and I had to get my two factor code. And I got my card in there, and uh, I bought you know I bought a month of PlayStation Plus, and uh, then I played some Battlefront. And there were a couple things I realized about Battlefront that I didn't remember from playing the multiplayer before. Because when it did come out, I should point out I played about six months of multiplayer. Five to six nights a week. You know, like we were playing right, you every don't play night. that much. I got it. But when Battlefront <laughs> came out, we played a lot of it. There were maybe, yeah. you know, a half dozen of my friends. And so we get on and we yeah. play Galactic Assault. And I realized that, boy, when you don't play a multiplayer game for a year and a half and then you come back to it, it's really tough. The meta games moved. Yes. So I did get some experience playing some of the new I get to play as clone troopers, which I don't believe I ever was able to do before. Sure. Uh, I got to play on Geonosis and I got to play. Oh, wait, was it Geonosis? No, I'm sorry. I got to play on Kashyyyk. Ooh, cool. Uh, so I spent some time on Kashyyyk and then I realized like I was not doing well. <laughs> I was just really having a tough time. And as far as I could tell, no, I didn't have as much time to look into this as I'd like to. As far as I can tell, there's no way to choose what map you want to play. You can choose what game mode, but the maps are all kind of automatic. There's no way to go in and say, I want to play this map or yeah, you're whatever. Just, you're just launching into playlists. Yeah, as far as I could tell. So I didn't get to try out some of the new maps I wanted to, but then I did go into Heroes versus Villains, and I got to play both on Camino and Tatooine, which are places I play I have played before. Okay, but I did get to play as General Grievous, and I did get to play as Count oh, Dooku, okay. which cool. were two of the things I really wanted to do because those are two characters I really wanted to try out. Uh, also, not very good at that. Uh, <laughs> did better, did better. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can tell you that the game is just still to this day. It's so gorgeous. Um, I'll tell you my issue with it okay. is simply put games that are as complex as that is. Mm-hmm. I just don't think are for me. Oh, okay. okay. Like game, like, uh, the, I think the perfect example is, <laughs> wow. I had never played a grand theft auto game. Yeah. And I got. Grand Theft Auto 5, I think, is the current one. Five it was on sale one. for 20 bucks or whatever, you know, whatever. Sure. And I got it. I'm like, I'm going to try one of these. I've never played one. And, like, this, it's so small, you can't even read what's on the screen because there's so much detail. If you're, like, sitting, oh, like, okay, I feel I like to saying. play the type of games that some of these games oh, are, I have to be sitting in front of, like, a 22-inch monitor, like, a foot away from it, and then I'd be able to play them. Oh, then but, you understand exactly what the problem is, because the problem, that's a very common problem with games since the HD era started, is yeah. the fact that in the 90s and stuff, why was UI elements, like, all the text on the screen so big? Because people had to go put it on a dev kit and look at it on a TV, which is what the people at home are going to do. The problem with most games in the HD era is they're being developed by people and they're being playtested on PCs at desks. And not enough companies are sensitive to double-checking their work when most people sit nine feet or further away from their television. It's it's a very common problem. I realized that when I played 
uh, Battlefront before the multiplayer, and even when I played Fallen Order recently, I would get my chair and I would move it so it was about yep. three feet away from my TV. I'd basically sit as close as I could, and I found that not only am I much better at games when I do that, yeah, right. It's a much more enjoyable experience because I feel like I can see what's happening. But ultimately, I think to really for me to get back yeah. into a game like that, uh, like multiplayer on Battlefront Two, I really just want a small TV that I can sit really close to and play. I feel like I'd have a better experience. Yeah, this is something that, that, that PC players constantly say, I don't see the problem. I'm like, well, that's because you're playing on the equipment they built it on. Yeah. You don't see the issue. And yeah. the problem is there's a lot of people who like the lean back experience yeah. of sitting on their couch. And it definitely seems to be with only some games. Only some games are this complex. But like, I really want to get Red Dead Redemption 2, but I'm worried that I'm going to have that same experience. Like, you know, it's just... I feel like I'm not going to be able to play it because it's just going to be so complex and so much to learn. The same thing happened to me with Far Cry 4. Um, and I will say that is you know. that's that's modern video games. Okay, be, yeah. before, before we um, continue, I, I do need to state one thing that's just like um, a, an important historical note about this game. Um, this game had an extremely egregious... Um, uh, monetization plan when it launched um it had a series of loot uh i think they called them crates but like basically loot boxes which loot boxes were starting to get controversial by the time we got to 2017 in the sense of like you know you're paying for something and you don't know what you're going to get on the other side and in fact you don't even know the odds of what you're going to get and in fact they just mostly tell you like you're guaranteed after five to get one premium item and all this kind of stuff it was getting fairly egregious and Battlefront 2 is the one that broke the camel's back for whatever reason, probably because it's Star Wars and a gazillion more people than usual played it. But this game came under intense scrutiny mm -hmm. when it was in um, its public beta, because if yeah. you pre-ordered the game, you could play it like it was a week or two earlier. And just the forums were on fire with how frustrated people were about, you know, you couldn't play as a hero character unless you unlocked a card. And the only way to get like cards in a realistic sense was either to grind for hours upon hours or pay for a loot box and hope you get it. Um, and all of the cool stuff, all the neat blasters, all the best skins, all the best that like the biggest thing is a lot of gameplay value. Like the hero characters were locked kind of behind that paywall in a reasonable sense. To the point that they scuttled, they turned off all monetization when it launched to the public because they knew they were going to be in huge yeah. trouble. Most people believe that someone from Disney called and said, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? We're trying to launch a movie here. Your game's supposed to be cross-marketing material for that. What are you doing? <laughs> um, and they couldn't fix monetization before launch, so they just turned it off. Like, they just... Up the amount of times that you get the free for playing like versions of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they remonetized it for like a year. Like it really went underground. But it's why I say it's broke the camel's back is because this is directly what led to um, scrutiny around randomized payouts for video games to the point that um, Brussels or um, Belgium passed a law against this type of in-game monetization as a result of it. And it has caused a number of Congress people in the United States to have conversations. They have had people in the UK going through and looking if this stuff legally counts as gambling. And it's like, 
it's an important side note just to mention, not because I'm saying anything against or for it for this particular game, but I'm like, in history, this will go down just much like Mortal Kombat caused us that we needed to rate video games. <laughs> when we look back at the history of monetization in video games, Battlefront 2 is an important little note in that story. Yeah, it was, even if you were outside of playing the game, people knew about that. You know, it, yeah. was, it was just all over the internet. It was such a big thing for a minute there. And to be completely fair, to their credit, right, by the time the game launched, that stuff wasn't in there. Yeah, they... uh, regardless of the reason, right, regardless of, you know, the, the fact that it was, it was feedback from the consumer and they took it. And yeah. I think that's a good thing. And that's why it's long term support is so, I think, worthy of celebration is that game did not make the numbers it was supposed to. It literally couldn't because they had they had planned on it having like FIFA levels of numbers because. Most of the EA sports games like FIFA and Madden and stuff make a lot of their money from very similar tactics. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of impressive. We're still getting content for it, even though um, while very successful, it's obviously not as successful as they wanted it to be. They just launched the celebration edition of the game which has new Rise of Skywalker content. It unlocks so many of the skins and unlockables, things that it's basically a way to say, hey, if you want to come to the game now, you can pay a very reasonable price and basically be caught up with everything, Yeah, which I think is really rad. It's weird to think of Living Games having this, but it's, it's like the Game of the Year edition. It's the... Essentially, yeah. Yeah. That's essentially what it is. So if you haven't had a chance to play Battlefront 2's story, for yeah. the canonical content, I highly, highly recommend it. As do I. If you're someone who, that sounds fun, but multiplayer is your cup of tea, I highly, highly recommend it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I think it's gorgeous. I think it's fun. I think they've got plenty of game modes and planets, and there's tons of stuff about it I love. Yeah. Uh, I just and don't think I'm a long-term multiplayer player. And I'll also say the other thing that's nice is if you like... Um Battlefield and Battlefield uh, 1 and V didn't really do it for you. This is still a very healthy community for Battlefield style multiplayer if you want to get at it. Yeah, um, yeah and the biggest the biggest maps, the biggest mode has up yeah. to 40 players Yeah, uh, in uh, Galactic Kong. No, that's the old Battlefront 2. I can't remember, but uh, basically the biggest maps have 40 players allowed all the way down to four. Uh, there's heroes yeah. versus villains where you can be two on two. Uh, so there's some really great diverse game modes. I love it. I love the variety in planets and, and troopers you can play. And, uh, it really is a lot of fun. So I highly recommend it. If you haven't give it a shot, uh, it's available on Xbox, PlayStation and uh, PC. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's all we have to say about it. Uh, it's a pretty neat game and it added a lot to the canon of Star Wars. And I think it's even more relevant today than it was when it was released, which is weird. It's kind of crazy to think, right? Uh, yeah. I really am going to I have 29 more days of PlayStation Plus. I'm going to try and play some more of the new <laughs> levels. Mac, if you want to come up, I mean, I only have one controller, but we can pass. Could you just uh, split screen on that? I don't know. I've never tried. I used to play land parties with Battlefield. Battlefront 2. Yeah, yeah. The, the other Battlefront 2. Well, we what we're going to do the next time when we talk about the other Battlefront 2 is I have my PlayStation downstairs. So mm. we'll, we'll, we'll PS2, so we'll break it out. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, you want to talk about the T-47 next? Yeah, man, let's do it. Yeah. Star Wars is for everyone. 
Every day, we have the ability and opportunity to create a more accepting world by actively coming together and living inclusively. Whether it's the galaxy far, far away or right here at home, there's always a chance to do even small things to include other people, let them know that they're loved. Just regardless of the differences we have between us, what makes us in common is far more important. Yeah, Star Wars loves and accepts all, and it's always been about that. And here we are in 2020, Star Wars more inclusive than ever. I can't tell you how many different people from different walks of life, different ability levels, different races, creeds, genders, that were all together at Star Wars Celebration to celebrate the things we love. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting against the Empire when you're trying to champion what's right. But remember, it takes all of us to fight an Empire. So join us and everyone else in the galaxy and learn how you can come together at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. ship's ready? Well, um, not exactly quite yet. We need them now. We need to get out there. We need to be looking for the, our, our heroes. Well, sir, we're having trouble adapting the speeders to the cold, sir. Listen, if a Tauntaun can do it, why can this speeder, this man-made machine, not? Well, it, it's got a bad battery, and every time it gets cold, it just won't turn the engine. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Mac. If we're having trouble starting them, let's just get them going. And then never stop. We'll just fly them in circles and we'll change as we go. <laughs> Guys, just keep flying around the block. Just keep keep yeah, going. Keep circling. Just like you're looking for a parking spot. Just keep going. You know, because when you think about it, the air speeders, the T-47 air speeder, also most commonly known as the snow speeder from the Battle of Hoth. They really do have that line where they're like, we're having trouble adapting to the cold. But by tomorrow morning, they're good. Well, you know, sometimes it just takes a night. I mean, they're still getting set up on Hoth. Like, they're they're still getting up and running, you know? They've just moved in. I'm just wondering if the thing you just joked about is what they actually did. They're just like, okay, guys, we got them running. All right, well, we got to shut them down because they're power. No, just leave them on. <laughs> as, long as, the, as long as the engine's running, it'll stay hot enough <laughs> to keep itself going. Well, you know what? I do want to give you a little bit of information about that snowspeeder, Mac. Go for it. Because they are apparently uh, have ge power generators that would lock up because they ran hot, requiring a large bank of heat radiator fins for essential cooling. I can understand why in Hoth that wouldn't work. 
Uh-huh. Rebel technicians modified the airspeeder by in, uh, insulating each radiator fin with side panels to decrease the heat exchange in order to better suit the icy environment of Hoth. Hmm. So essentially, they were working on insulation. They were tr- having trouble adapting them to the, the cold, cold. Oh. which I think is the line, right? So essentially, we're having adapting to the cold, sir. We, I'm, we, we I'm have... obviously a British actor who will get dubbed over. <laughs> So we have uh, we have these ships, these ships that we first see in The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And they are used to both rescue our heroes Han and Luke from the bitter cold of Hoth. Yep. And uh, they are also used to uh, tow some Adats around, <laughs> essentially, right? Yep. So we see this speeder uh, basically have laser cannons and it has a tow cable. Yep. It has two positions, a pilot and a gunner. Mm-hmm. It is flown uh, by Rogue Squadron in The Empire Strikes Back, right? Yep. Uh, and we see some of our favorite pilots, including uh, Dak and Wedge and Luke and others, assorted, fly them against the Empire. I'm trying to think of uh, if there are any other members of Rogue Squadron. I don't know if you ever see ho- Hobbies there. There's there's other ones. Are they? I don't think they're named in the movie though, right? I think those are the only three who you hear the names spoken of in the film. I think that might be right. I mean, uh. the, the interesting th- uh, Jensen. <laughs> yes, uh, there's Jensen. Yes, yes, that's right. Wedge does have Jensen. So um, good point. Uh, great shot, Jensen. Uh, so the thing that's that's cool about this is in Star Wars again. We we've we've. This is a dead horse we'll keep beating. So it's 1980, and there's new Star Wars, and you are unprepared. Just imagine seeing all this stuff that was certainly not part of Star Wars suddenly becomes part of Star Wars, right? You have the introduction of this new type of craft. It's not a spaceship. It's essentially somewhere between a van, like a truck, <laughs> and you know, a utility vehicle, and a plane, um, it's an airspeeder, and unlike a land speeder, it can fly. Um, and yeah, the first time we see it is kind of coming up over the ridges. Um, as in the morning, Rogue Squadron has dispatched with the. They worked all night to insulate the power generators. You said, mm-hmm. yes, um, to make uh, the snow speeders work so that they could go find Commander Skywalker and General Solo because they're out there somewhere. Lost to the void. They need to be found. And you know, the snow speeder is interesting because we see it here and then we don't really see it again in Star Wars film. No, not in film. We do see it pop up in some other places, though. Like merchandising. <laughs> like merchandising. We also see it uh, in, it's mentioned in some novelizations. You know, it's mentioned in, I think, Lost Stars might talk about it a little bit. I'm going off my memory here. Um, now, the Wikipedia article, I have not read the Poe Dameron comic, mm-hmm. but I believe that's where this comes from. The Poe Dameron comic is on my list for this year now that it's finished. But uh, there's this quote from Poe. No, no, not the T-47. I can fly anything, but that doesn't mean I want to. <laughs> Piloting the T-47 is like steering a block of wood. Steering a block so of wood. So I know nothing about piloting a snowspeeder, but Poe sure does. So uh, I'll take his word for it. But I thought that was a nice little quote Well, again, quote when you there. see the magnetic tow cables and stuff like that, you get the idea that the speeders are not are a last resort They're weapon. They're meant for very mild combat, not going up against these giant armored war machine tanks. 
yeah. of the empire. You get the feeling sure that these were sold like. to like security forces and stuff like that. Yeah. And this is like a cop's SUV is essentially what it is. Yes. Uh, now we do see them do some pretty cool things. They use their tow cables to trip up the AT-ATs. Uh, doing that in Shadows of the Empire is one of my favorite Star Wars memories. Which, come to think about it, until you get used to it, is like flying a block of wood. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, 100% accurate. You know, the snow speeder is such a cool design, but you know what was even better is the snow speeder in the action fleet line. Yeah. We talked about this before. We did a whole segment on yeah, action fleet, did. the first toy we've talked about. Yeah, it's cool little air brakes and everything. It does. It does. So many, so much playability, so much of a play factor. Uh, but those cannons, they just bend right forward. Right, right back. You on think you. that happens in the Star Wars universe or just in the rubber? real world universe i guess it depends on if they were originally there they seem like they were probably built there by income when they built it but like yes. i could also see the rebels just going like oh we'll just strap it to this oh what's that gonna cause ah oh, tremendous heat in the generator but okay we'll just put some more radiator fins on there it'll be fine It'll be, fine. It'll be fine. We got plenty of time till the Empire shows up. We'll be plenty prepared. We'll have the we'll have the the the, the ion weapon ready. We'll we'll have our shields up. We'll be prepared. And one of the things I think is really cool about the Snow Speeder is it's uh, it's a surprise. It's a Ralph. It's the original trilogy. It's a Ralph McQuarrie design originally. Surprise. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's interesting is this is where a bunch of nerds like me start going and seeing technology taking a shape in this lived in universe yeah. where when you see the T-16 Skyhopper in the back of the Lars homestead, you know, behind the oil bath, when you see the T-65 X-Wing and when you <laughs> see the T-47 Airspeeder, you see the same kind of angular yeah. gray designs with orangey red highlights yeah. and you start going, yeah, that seems like those three things could be produced by the same company. Yes. Um, and that's some of the stuff that makes Star Wars such a place to me yes. is like, I, you know, when, when a new movie comes out or something and they bring this stuff out, like I, I, I can tell, oh, well, that's an income design. Like that's the company that built that or that's a Surasub or that's um, Center Fleet Systems. Like because they have a design language and they have these family lineages. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I thought that was something that's just really interesting because I don't. It wasn't really intentional, and if it was, it was just Ralph McQuarrie liked that kind of look to certain ships. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's kind of funny that the airspeeder never really shows up because it seems like it fills a gap in, like, a lot of the army. The fact that, like, well, what do you use for atmospheric flight? I mean, I guess you can use t X wings. We didn't really see that until um, we got to The Force Awakens, seeing what a yeah. terrestrial battle would look with X wings. Um, but it, it's it's really fascinating. We never saw them anywhere else because they're air speeders. Despite them it, being called the snow speeder, they're a general purpose vehicle. Yeah. It, it's almost like they could have been. Uh, they could have been at Cloud City. Yeah, you know, they could have been using them. Uh, they could have been using them to hit Java's palace. Just break oh. Han out with force, right? Just blow go in up. with the tow cables, shank that big door off. I don't know. Oh, no, I just see, them, see, it, see it just like stuck to the big middle door and the little eye sticking out like, what are you doing? As it's like whining and you hear the cable straining. Yep. It's yep. like the worst tractor pull ever. Uh, one of the things as a kid I thought was so cool about the snow speeder, well, the air speeder, uh, two pilots. Well, you know, two, two men, two men manning yeah. it. Uh, we hadn't really seen that yet. You know, so far it was a pilot and a droid is what we had seen. Right. So and having this gunner station, I thought, was really cool. But even more so, 
when you had the toy and you could put the two pilot figures inside of it. Um, And, you know, the interesting uh, thing about that is we call it the gunner position. But all you have is that swivel gun, which as far as I know, just has a harpoon. I don't. Does it have a laser cannon? They've got to be doing something else, right? Well, so what it's aping is a very popular fighter at the time, which, you know, a handful of years later would go crazy is the F-14 Tomcat, which okay. is a very famous fighter jet made most famous by the movie Top Gun, which in 2020 is getting a sequel. What a weird world we live Holy in. Holy crap. I was at, I think it was my third showing of Star Wars. They showed a trailer for that, for Top Gun Maverick. Maverick. It is one of the best movie trailers I've seen in a long time. It looks time. good. Now, there are two out there, because I went back to try and find it. One of them is a good kind of average trailer, but this other one is so just cinematic and beautiful, and the story they're setting up to tell is such a, feels like such a calm, paced out story. It just, mm-hmm. it lo- it makes me want to see that movie. <gasps> Literally, that hasn't happened with a trailer, other than maybe like a Christopher Nolan film. In the last like ten years, maybe. Yeah, and 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 it it's nice when movies can do that. Um, yeah. But I mean, Top Gun made famous the idea of the the two people in the cockpit because an F fourteen has two. You have the pilot, and then you have the radar tech. And the radar tech was in charge of basically the plane's systems. Okay. They would man the radar and watch for bogeys and watch for that kind of stuff. They would be more in charge of like the fuel consumption. They would be in charge of all the electronics and countermeasures in in the system. Like Mm -hmm. they're generally the guys launching like the chaff and stuff out of the back. So that's obviously where I think they got this from with the one caveat that makes it in, in some ways more interesting is the fact the the um, the pilot and the gunner sit back to back? You know, one's looking out the back, one's looking out the front, which means the guys in the back have way stronger stomachs than anyone else in the Republic. Yes, as a guy who's been in planes many times flying backwards, it feels weird when maneuvers happen and you're not seeing them because you're not looking mm-hmm, out the front, mm-hmm. which is where the thing is going. I'd be 100% motion sick. Yeah. Not even a question. Um, and, uh, but like you said, God, what a toyetically beautiful design. <laughs> well, speaking of toys. Yeah. There is something we have to talk about, and that is the stand, sand speeder variant, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the sand speeder, Originally created for Kenner's The Epic Continues line. Uh, okay. okay. Now, The Epic Continues line is essentially a line of toys uh, originally planned for 1986. So, essentially, post Power of the Force, you know, after the movies are done, we're moving on and we're going to be creating these new toys that aren't tied to a movie, right? The Sand Speeder, never for a movie. We can do this. Yes. Now, unfortunately, the line never saw the light of day. We was actually canceled by this. Lucasfilm, <laughs> and uh, was not even revealed until 1995. The Sand Speeder. Now, the Sand Speeder did pop up then in Legends, starting in '96, in the Instant Adventures source book published by West End Games. Mac, I know you're a big West End Games fan. It's like the most important building block of Star Wars that very few people know about. <laughs> uh, now, the vehicle made its first Legends appearance in Onslaught at Arda 1, a 2014 adventure module for Fantasy Flight Games' Age of Rebellion role-playing game. Really? Yeah, interesting, right? Well, it's also just weird to think about, like, 
my brain tells me that's really, really new, but I guess they were publishing that before the Disney acquisition. Uh, apparently, right? Now, there's also, uh, there is a few instances of it in new Star Wars. So we have it in Lego All-Stars, The Power at Jakku. Right. It's true because they made us. They, they there is a Lego set of the sand speeder. There is, and it's a really cool looking design. It's essentially a so, a snow speeder, but spray painted brown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, I think it looks cool. I think it's a cool design. I actually really wish I would have gotten that Lego set. Unfortunately, I didn't. Yeah, and and, and like I said, going back to somebody we said, like yeah, it seems like a vehicle that they should find a lot more versions of it. I mean, we've made every conceivable version of a tie, including a tank. Like, why aren't there more? you know, uh, variants of the rebel ships. Yeah. There could have been a nice camo one on the forest moon of Endor. Oh, just uh, imagine like, imagine one for like Kashyyyk. That's like yeah. general or commander green. It's just camoed, but then all the windows are like that, like reflective green tint. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. I'm honestly kind of surprised that the snow speeders didn't get pulled out on crate. Yeah, you know, I really they were they, they drove something even more rickety and worse. Yes, very much so. And I, I think that is good to have something new and to have something unique. But it almost seems like that's like I mean, that's maybe that's just aping. in my mind because you know it's a white planet and they're fighting walkers and you know they're they're advancing on a sorry, base sir. We're and... having trouble adapting them to the salt. <laughs> Just gets all up in the radiators and, you it's know. It's just like a car in the northeast in the middle of February. It's just shellacked in salt. Right through the fuel line. Right just th- cuts right through it. <laughs> all right. Well, I am going uh, to go uh, play Shadows of the Empire so I can fly one of these things. Gotcha. Or, or Battlefront 2. You can play it in there, too. Uh, I like the real QB version. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Those Not new the pretty ones, one. Those ships fly like they're controlled through a first-person shooter game. No, 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 no. I want the block of wood. That's right. <laughs> that authentic experience that Poe Dameron talked about. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Mac, do you have anything else you'd like to add about the T-47? No, I, I think it's a great ship, great design. I love income designs. I love that kind of, uh, you know, slightly angular uh, designs that we got in those and I think they're awesome. So I think with that. Yeah, they're they're great. They're in Empire Strikes Back. Go watch it. It's a pretty good movie if you haven't seen it. It's solid. Yeah. Almost recommend. Four, about to turn 40. Wow. We're so close. We've never been closer. Never. All right. Well, let's talk about something completely different. You want to talk about Ooh. the not as well. Re- we've already talked about action. Fleet. Let's talk about another not yeah, very we well remembered action about figure. Toy is at all. All right. So join us after the break when we talk about the Star Wars Unleashed figure line. We're going to take the collar off. We're going to unbuckle the carabiner. It's time for Star Wars to get unleashed. (laughs) The most aggressive Star Wars figure line ever. It did. It had a real edge to it. There's a very specific time period from like the mid 90s to like. 2005, 2006. It's like like 1998 to 2005. This. 
uh, uh, it's um, wrestling called it the Attitude Era. Yeah, my my one friend indoctrinates with wrestling, and like yeah. he's right. Like it's the it's the era that brought you like Stone Cold Steve Austin, and like what Blink one eighty two was trying to be, and like just a lot of like hot topic <laughs> with barbed wire. <laughs> it's I don't know. I've, I've got to dance all around it. Like like you. you you were there. You remember. Oh, I remember. I remember. I was born into it. I was bred by it. Um, it here's the thing. This line of figures. Well, yes. if we can call them that. Maybe we'll call them statues. Oh, see, uh, that's why in the show notes I said, Star Wars Unleashed figures slash statues. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about them. So if you don't remember, this is a line that started in 2002. The Unleashed line. Not to be confused with toys from The Force Unleashed, the video game that would come six years later. Your this search just, engine will confuse them. Yes, this is just Star Wars Unleashed, okay? These are seven-inch... Um, I'm going to call them statues because they don't move. Yeah. Uh, seven-inch statues that uh, are basically f- these toys, but in action poses, that were readily accessible for about 15 to $20 at your local Toys R Us or... Yeah, to to set the stage, like at the end of the 90s, people were basically starting to come together because the Internet for fandom and the world was responding to it. So you started getting things like um, people being able to get the diamond um, comic comic book store vendors catalogs themselves. They were giving those to customers directly. You started with DC Direct, which would sell you collectibles that you normally find at a comic book store to your house. And so all of these kind of one-off, you know, you go into a comic book store and like, oh my God, I didn't even know they made a, a bust of Superman or look at this cool, you know, figure uh, of Wolverine, but it's this bust or this statue or this mm-hmm. really expensive resin or or um, uh, stone, I can't remember what they call it, the, the formable stone, like figures and Hasbro like one of the time you get to like attack of the clones says like well we we could do that out of plastic and it'd be way cheaper and <laughs> so that's kind of what they did is they made these really iconic mm-hmm. scenes and i think one of the things that's it's great about it is like you said there's 7 inch figures they're actually to scale with all of themselves yeah which is cool and they were designed to be that cuz they're little dioramas right yeah they're they're action shots they're poses they are essentially um, meant to be these moments where we see our characters doing something that we think is cool. So in the first line, there were there were a few of them. There is an Anakin, and yep. it's actually the Episode 2 Anakin. There's Maul. There's uh, Darth Tyrannus, as he's named here. So, you know, Count Dooku. Uh, but on the packaging, I believe it was actually Tyrannus. There are the Fats, there's Nace Windu, and there's Padme. And that was the original line. And I think maybe the best way to frame it to, to people today, this was in their era from Hasbro. Big asterisk there, from Hasbro, yeah. a mass mass marketing company. Um, <laughs> these are kind of like what I think a lot of the energy of like Hot Toys is, is the idea of, hey, I want that picture from the movie on my desk. Right. Very much. Because so. one of the things that's very common about it is the sculpts are light years ahead of anything Hasbro was making as far as like the likeness of the character, the mm-hmm. um, 
almost all of them feature their bodies in very heavy motion with like Jedi robes flowing mm-hmm. and flapping and being textured with like a burlap pattern yeah. or and uh, they all have great bases too that really not right. only allow them to stand steadily but make them these great display pieces. And again, this came from the like maquettes and stuff you could buy for, yeah. especially comic books was huge for that. But like, this is what gentle giant got yeah. into and stuff like that. They're just an incredibly reasonably priced version of that and readily available, which is the nice thing. Um, and, you, and the one thing that did make them why we have to say the statues slash figures is they all had interchangeable parts so while you couldn't change the pose the character was basically stuck mm-hmm. like i'm just looking at the count dooku he kind of has his his dueling lightsaber like pointed down in this very regal like like you could imagine someone is down on the ground and he's holding it to their neck kind of pose but you can also swap it out for him throwing electricity it's funny you choose that one because that is the only one of these I own. Oh, okay. Is the Dooku one. So I wanted these a lot when I was a kid. I remember, so in 2002, I would have been about 11. Yep. Uh, so I remember, you know, going to the store and uh, seeing these and wanting them and thinking they were so cool. I remember the Anakin and the Luke, and I just remember how awesome they looked. Yep. And not buying them. You know, at the time I collected, <laughs> I was still buying Star Wars toys. I was collecting three and three quarter inch. So, you know, we had some, uh, it was a good era for Star Wars toys, all things considered. Uh, but I never had these, you know, they were a little bit more at the time, 15 to $20 for a single toy. You know, can't do that. That's crazy talk. 2002 to 2006 is the optimal time for Mac to have disposable income, but not be smart enough to use it wisely. <laughs> so which ones did you buy? Um, So I had a handful of them. The only one that survives to today, the only one I still have, is the Boba Fett that I think came out in the second wave. Okay. Which was great because it's like, oh, it's canon. Look, he's getting away from the Sarlacc because it's, it's basically yeah. him blasting out of the Sarlacc and he's wrapped in tentacles as mm-hmm. he's like trying to escape it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a rad pose yes it is and i needed to get it because there was a previous line which i'm not gonna remember the name of it was like star wars i'm gonna say legends but i don't think that was the term but of this same kind of thing of like hey Mm -hmm. this is kind of a statue and i had a boba fett where he's basically just got his arms out holding his blaster rifle it looks like he's like on the deck of the uh sail barge or something like that but those were like really stiff and all of these just have so much kinetic energy yeah, and movement to yeah. them. So I had that. I think I had traded someone and ended up with the Ala Sakura one. Mm, that's cool. Um, And then I think I had, I think I might've had Anakin. Did he have two lightsabers? The episode two Anakin did. I believe later on there was an episode three Anakin that yeah. only had the one. Yeah, I'm sorry, episode- I'm looking at a picture of it. Yeah. yeah, him with his like crazy like three-finger hand pose that was one of the interchangeable hands. I definitely yeah. have that one. Um, and I don't know. So I have the Dooku one myself. I actually bought it. Uh, as I said, I wasn't able to get them when I was a child when they were new on the shelf. I got it, Mac, for $2. Oh, dang. I got it at uh, our local Steel City Con where I tend to get great finds of Star Wars merchandise that no one else seems to want to buy. And the packaging was just destroyed. It was at the bottom of this box. Like the cardboard was broken and like it was taped. The bubble was taped on and like so it was beat up. But the figure inside with all of its accessories was pristine. So I bought it. I opened it up. And now I have Count Dooku shooting some lightning out of his hand 
uh, on top of my <laughs> Legends bookshelf. So really into it. Um, you know, in 2020, they don't look as good as they did in 2002. Uh, 18 years and 3D printing technology and 3D yeah. will do that. <laughs> but they are still awesome. They, they are still really, really rad. Uh, they look great when you do some backlighting with them or when you organize them in a display. They really are cool pieces, and especially from an overhead view. You know, when you get in really close and you look at the details, you know, it, it, it's noticeable that they're older. But, man, just at a glance, you know, looking at them on a shelf, well, it's, it's mostly they are awesome looking. The thing I think that kind of fails them now is they've got that kind of waxy look. Okay, like you I know what kinda, you mean. You can kind of see the, the plastic that they're made out of, because they're made of the same stuff the action figures were pretty much. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you can see how that took paint and all that stuff from that that era. I mean, ironically, I think that's when three and three-quarter figures were at their best, maybe discounting some of the newer black series three and three-quarters. Yeah, but for yeah. the most part, like... This was when petroleum prices were at the lowest amount they could be with the highest amount of technology. Because now yeah. we have better technology, but we want to use less plastic. Yeah. Um, by the way, the other one I think I had was, I think I had uh, the Cone Trooper. Oh, that's a cool one. That's a cool uh, one. Because I love that. So one thing I remember about them. Yeah. Is the original ones, they were in bubbles, you know, cards and bubbles. Like yes. a typical Star Wars toy. Later, they came in these cylindrical packages. Yes. Do you remember that? I think yep. the change happened a couple years in when they were doing some exclusives and some repacks. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure they were there by the time we got to like the Revenge of the Sith yeah, run up. Yeah, yeah. And those seem to be bigger in a way. They're not, but they, they felt bigger. Something about that packaging. Well, they seem like they I would take up more really shelf cool space. Unique. Like yeah. you have that like on a shelf that's not going to really hang on a peg. Yeah. Um. Wow, what a cool line. Now, later on. Mm-hmm. They introduced these things called battle packs. So they shrunk yep. the line down to these tiny little figures, generally came in packs of four. Yep. And uh, they were the same thing, but kind of small without the background or the stand. And, you know, they were like little army men of Star Wars almost. Yeah. yeah Extremely detailed it. little green army men. Um, it's a really cool line. I think it's from a very specific time in Star Wars toys and collecting for a, I think, honestly, very specific generation of fan who finds them really cool. Well, you look at this era and basically the early 2000s is when Hasbro is trying to figure out how they're going to serve both masters. Yeah. Because they realize that a lot of their purchases, even their basic purchases at the Toys R Us, are fanboy collectors. Yeah older adult collectors. So the Unleashed line is kind of a bone to them because a kid's not going to want that. It's an inaction figure. It doesn't move, but that was totally for collectors. And then you saw like by the time they got to, you know, um, the end of the 2000s, they were having a real problem with like they were making these highly articulated, super detailed, uh, you know, 3D painted, um, you know, highly coveted uh, three and three quarters figures that are kind of expensive and full small parts the kids are going to swallow and not really good for kids. So the Clone Wars line has like two or three points of articulation because that's for the kids. And like by now we, we discussed about this in um, listen to our Force Friday show about how like the battle's kind of been lost. Adults buy toys. <laughs> kids don't as much. And you can see Hasbro trying with like the six or not six inch. They're um, 
what's the what's the new line? Star Wars Adventures or whatever. Galaxy it's called? of Adventures. Galaxy of Is that Adventures. What you're talking about the yeah. ones that come in the little tube packaging. Yeah. Oh no! Wait, no. There, no, that is there's that, but then that's not what we're talking about. Those are those are different. Those are um the one we saw the on, ones on, that are out now, the new ones. Yeah, the ones that we new saw on Force yeah. Friday that are are they're kind of blocky and they're kind of like yeah. you know they're a bit bigger. They're somewhere between the three and three quarters and the six inches. Maybe they're five inch figures. Maybe I think they are. I think they are five inch. Um, and you can kind of just see that Hasbro wants little boys and girls to play with toys. And the market won't allow that. You can't go into a Target and find the toy for your little boy or girl. So they're making figures that are like, to be blunt, specifically against collectors. Yes. Because I don't think any, I don't think anyone's going like, oh, I'm collecting the adventure series. I just really think it's so great. I mean, I need <laughs> their the... proportions are so weird. They're cartoonish and garish. I love it. They are kind of fun figures, but but but, they, <laughs> but they're not the kind of thing. They're right. They're meant to survive staying on a shelf when someone has come in picked clean all the black series and yes. you know asking and pressuring the employee for what's in the other case do you have another case back there i want to look in that case <laughs> like um and you can see that in this era it's it's flipping and floppy they're making things like unleashed they're making things like the titanium series of vehicles they're making yeah. things that are really designed for collectors to buy and not for kids to buy i agree i agree completely i i do think that uh if you haven't seen these in person, yeah, check them out. You know, do some Google searching next time you're at your, oh, yeah, just you know your your secondhand, your used shop. I guarantee you they'll have some. Because the cool thing about it is like they just look nice. Like they're all the poses are like even take something like okay, take a really stiff character like IG88. He is like surrounded by fire, and he's like basically blasting below him. And you took what is basically a coat rack of a figure. And still found something really aesthetically arresting and interesting to see. Yeah. And, you know, you can also get characters that you wouldn't normally get, like Asaz Ventress, Ala Secura, um, even characters. Um, well, wasn't there? You know, like oh, Bosk yeah. and, uh, or a like Sing. you said, IG-88, Aura Singh. Yeah. Characters who you just wouldn't expect. Uh, you can get them. And I think that's really rad. It is. Um, it's it's a really cool figure line. And like I said, I think it's a little bit lost because I don't think it did super well because it was kind of straddling the line, right? Mm -hmm. It was perfect for me who, again, had disposable income but was a college student or just going into college. And, you know, I can spend 15 or 20 bucks. I can't spend $250 on, you know, one of the real collector busts or figurines or yeah. cats Like... And I think the people that were really invested in that kind of posing and stuff, uh -huh. I think the waxy nature of plastic, they're like, no, I'd rather have that in resin. I'd rather have that as something that's really, really nice. Even yeah. though I don't think any Star Wars collectibles have ever captured as much energy as these two. Like, I think that's really fair. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. I, uh, I, I'd like to see something like this make a comeback. Yeah. In the lower price point. I don't yeah, think Yeah, even we're if gonna, it's not Hasbro, just you know. someone making these kinds of statue, desk, bookshelf style aesthetic little art objects. Yeah. But it may be something sub hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> It'd be please. nice. Please, please. So if you're listening out there, uh let's get the unleash line back. Let's just let's bring it back. Let's call it unleashed. Let's, let's has labs, it. fire up the molds. Huh. We got an idea okay. for you. You give me a porg unleashed figure. 
<laughs> I will pay you anything you want. All I see is when you say that, it's not a Porg figure. It's like it's like that gif we had when we when we was running around where there's just a little little fleet of them all running and squawking. Yes. Well, I picture it. Okay, so here's what I picture for my porg unleashed. Porg figure. unleashed. So the base will be a nest. So you'll have the porg okay. nest. Okay. And then you'll have like a branch. Okay. And you'll have a, a a larger an adult porg kind of nesting up on that branch. Okay. And it'll have like a like a its wings out and like its mouth open like. You know, it's it's in that it's in that flap. Okay, I'm gonna say one thing. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. But I also just had a really great idea for it. I don't think you'd like it as much though. Okay. I swear to God, if it's a cook porg, Mac, we're no, done. no, no, no. I would build a diorama. Right. The floor of this figure would be the Skywalker lightsaber. Oh yeah. And I just have like two porgs poking around it. Oh, that would be great too. That yeah. would be great. That'd too. be a great thing to have yeah. in a bookshop. What about an interchangeable porg, one where it can be holding the lightsaber in its mouth? Ooh. Like carrying it like a baton. Oh, we talked about the, the first Jedi Porg and when that's going to happen. Oh, We're man. Sith Porg. Well, we have uh, in, uh, what is it, in Last Shot, we have an Ewok Codebreaker, I think it is. That sounds right. I think that's Last Shot, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, I see, so, I mean, yeah, hey, I if we that. can have an Ewok that can, you know, be doing all that, we can have a Porg with a lightsaber. We'll get there. We'll get there. Well, until next time. <laughs> All right, well let's uh, let's go wrap this thing. This, yeah. this is a good discussion. God, I love porgs. <laughs> Could you imagine if Han had left Chewie down in that pit? My God, no, no, no! Right, Han needed to rescue Chewie to feel fulfilled in his life. Well, there's another thing I want to talk to you about when it comes to rescuing, and that's shelter pets. Mm. Every shelter pet is unique. Some love a game of fetch. Others love a good snuggle on the couch. Chewie loves Robin trains. There's one thing, though, that they all have in common, and that's their all pure love. You know, right now, millions of pets are in shelters and rescues across the country waiting to be adopted. Did you know that only 44% of dogs and only 47% of cats in America come from animal shelters and rescue groups? You know what's interesting, Mac, is we adopted our two cats. And I'll tell you, these two cats, we've had them about five years now. They were about five when we adopted them. They're about 10 now. They have been the best thing. They have their own little Star Wars collars. It's great. Oh, my two cats, Peach and Daisy, also came from a shelter, and I wouldn't have it any other way. If you're thinking about getting a pet this holiday season, make sure to visit the shelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, Maddie's Fund, and the Humane Society of the United States. And another episode of Star Wars All In comes in for a landing. We're locking it down in the docking bay. Uh, kind of a fun, weird one. We kind of danced around a lot of weird stuff. We talked about a video game. Yep. We talked about toys. And we talked about a ship. 
uh, hey, Mac, why not just throw it all at the wall and see what we have fun talking about, right? That is the yeah. whole point of Star Wars All In, is it not? To just talk about really whatever we want for an indeterminate amount of time. And I will say I am happy we are finally sort of broaching into the topic of video games because, to me, that's a huge part of my developmental yeah, Star yeah. Wars growth. Uh, I think we talked about the only thing that will be detrimental to us covering video games swiftly is you have a very reasonable position of like, yeah, no, we totally talked about it. Let me play it again. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, well, when we get to like Star Wars, like, there's a few games you, like, if you want to, if we want to talk about Star Wars Force Commander, I, I don't think there's any way to play it on a modern computer. So I guess we're just not going to talk about that one. That's okay. No one remembers well, that one. we'll start with the ones we can play. I've got Racer Revenge ready to roll. I've yeah. got Bounty Hunter upstairs. Uh, what else can we just turn on and play? Well, we're going to get... So we, we, I, I think we have something cooking in the background. We're going to probably eventually do a Shadows of the Empire-like yes. special. Yes. And one thing we'll definitely be talking about is the, those ships that float like a uh, block of wood and uh, yes. and about wampas and a whole bunch of other things we've already mentioned. So It's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. Plenty yeah. of Star Wars games passed. Plenty more to come. I feel and, and, and I will say Star Wars is special in the sense that like the vast majority of its catalog is able to be acquired and played these days like even Shadows of the Empire you can buy for a modern computer like that's wild yeah I bought uh, I bought the Shadows of the Empire novel so I'm ready to reread it and uh, do our special so we'll get working on that oh uh, it's gonna be fun yeah it's gonna be why yeah. didn't they have a why didn't they have an Unleashed figure of Shizor that would have been I guess that's maybe a little bit after that time but yeah they were really going yeah. more prequel yeah. All the odd ones were prequel characters at that point. Yeah, that's they? true. Well, yeah. um, all the same, it's been a blast. And hey, uh, we hope you enjoyed. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, well, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until we see you next Wednesday. Hey, may that force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and the respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.